Chapter fourteen of Rangy Pete by Guy Morton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. After an eternal period of burning torment and fantastic visions, through which his brain seemed never to rest, Rangy opened his eyes weakly and stared listlessly about him. The scene was a strange one, but nothing really mattered anyway. There were drab shadows all about, which appeared to have no part in the life he had always lived, and there was a man sitting in front of him, with back turned and working at something which Rangy could not see. Something remotely familiar about that back appealed to Rangy's dulled brain and held the weak gaze of his eyes. It didn't matter. Still, he would like to know what that person was doing there. Rangy shifted in his position and was about to speak when the man suddenly turned upon him. Jump in Jericho, that individual exclaimed gladly. You really got your peepers open again, Rangy? I've been wondering if you was ever going to consent to look on this wicked world again. Here's something for you to drink. A friend of yours brought it. Ike Collander placed something to his lips, and Rangy promptly dozed into slumber again. But this time it was sleep without those tormenting visions. When he wakened again his brain was much clearer, and his limbs felt less leaden. The fingers of his memory began to toy with the past and there was a vague appreciation of the fact that all things were not exactly as he would have them. There was this cave and Ike Collander, patient Ike Collander, whose services in a time of need were a pleasing thing. But there was something lacking. In time his memory pieced together those ragged patches of the past, and he knew just where the story of his life had broken. Ike, how long have I been here? he asked at length. It's five days since you turned your nose to the wall and wouldn't recognize anybody, Collander informed, with a sort of motherish hovering about him. But you're right now as a grass-fed maverick, and in about ten days we'll be hitting it back for Triple Butte. Where's the rest of the army, and what's happened? Rangy insisted. Nothing happened, Collander chuckled, though Ringham did have kind of a hard time to keep them snaky Y-buckos from stringing up Dan Merrill when they heard he'd been planning to skip out and leave them all howling for their wages. But nothing happened. They went through the pass together, the snaky Y and the triangle O and the double K, and they mooched around a couple of days looking for dervishers. And they didn't find a single dervisher? Rangy asked anxiously. Sure you ain't lying to me, Ike? Honest to goodness, they didn't find so much as hide or hair of a lone dervisher, Collander informed hurriedly but you should see the way them snaky Y boys knuckle to ring em. They ain't no good without a leader. Rangy leaned back with a sigh of relief. Miss Dick, it became obvious, was completely able to look after herself. Yet in doing that, it left a sort of aching void about the heart. Jumbo Irish is coming back in about a week or ten days with a couple of cayuses to pack you out, Collander went on. They left us a lot of grub, and now you've got nothing to do but pick up and get to feeling yourself again. Ike Collander broke off abruptly, and instead of returning to that unknown task of his, he stood looking down upon Rangy Pete in a curious way. You're a funny one, Rangy, he blurted out at last. Who is the lady? What lady? Rangy's question was almost an explosion of sound. Don't stand there, Ike, trying to be mysterious, but go on and tell me. Ike considered a moment as though attempting to find the proper lead. The lady what comes to see you each night just at dusk, he informed in the end. It's queer, just like one of them romances what I seen once on the stage. She comes out of the dark of this cave every night, 
sits with you for an hour, gets some things to eat offen me, and then she goes back again. Is she coming tonight, Ike? Rangy demanded excitedly. I dunno. She said to me once that she'd come as long as you're unconscious. Then, Ike, I'm gonna be unconscious tonight, dead to the world, and don't you dare tell her anything different. And when you see her coming, you smooch it out of the way. Rangy's fever ran high all through that afternoon, and as he tried to count the minutes, it seemed to him that time never before had dragged along on such leaden feet. There was an insistent demand that Miss Dick should come, and that demand was leavened by the constant fear that she would not. There was the danger that she might know of his returning consciousness, that she may have heard Ike Collander talking to him. There were menaces which, in the mind of a sick man, will become warped and magnified until in the end the whole world seems distorted. Through the dragging hours Rangy Pete waited with what patience he could, and when at length the fading light of the sun permitted a grayness to creep into the blue of that thin patch of skyline showing beyond the lip of the cave, his doubts grew more at ease, and he began to picture just what Miss Dick would look like when she crept out of the darkness of the cave and came to sit by his side. It was by an effort of the will alone that he was able to close his eyes, but shortly he found that it was more restful to practice thus the feigning of unconsciousness. Yet it was in one of those moments that the girl came to him, so that in the end he did not see her stealing out of the darkness. The first he knew of her presence was the light touch of her fingers upon his forehead. Those fingers were cool and soft and mothering, and their faintest touch was a caress through which he fancied he could read all manner of glad tidings. He was wondering if that possessiveness in the girl's touch were but his sick imagining. Then he heard her voice, pitched low, yet touched with rebuke. His fever is higher tonight. What have you been doing to him, Ike? Nothing, miss. Collander evaded. He seemed to be tossing about a bit this afternoon, and that makes me think he'll soon be coming too. You sure, Ike, you haven't been trying to feed him something he shouldn't have, or something like that? Nary a thing, miss, Ike protested. Then shortly he rose and found some excuse to slip down over the mouth of the cave to the ground below. With Miss Dick so near him, with her mothering fingers gently stroking the fever from his brow, and with the faint little crooning of a song upon her lips, Rangy found this assumed pose of unconsciousness a difficult thing to maintain. He wondered that she did not hear the fevered beating of his heart. Then shortly he wondered if it were fair to take advantage of her in this manner. He wondered so long that at length one eye slipped open just a trifle, and he peered through the twilight at the girl's face. The acuteness of his gaze must have carried its own message to the girl's senses for shortly the song died upon her lips and she leaned forward eagerly. There was such anxiety in her attitude that Rangy found his pose an objectionable thing, so he opened his eyes wide and stared up into her face. Miss Dick gave a little cry which was all gladness. Ike, she called. Here, you, Ike Collander. Come here at once. He's awake. Rangy grinned to the limit of his capacity, though he felt it was an absurd thing to do. They's no use calling Ike, he declared, for I've been awake all afternoon, and he knows it. I told him to smooch it out of the way, cause there's something I want to say to you, little blue eyes. Then you've been fooling me by pretending to be unconscious, the girl demanded with a faint suggestion of hauteur. But Rangy's eyes held a pleading message aimed to destroy the aloofness of any feminine dignity. Yes, little girl, 
because I knew I could never get along without you. I knew nothing would ever be the same again if you didn't come tonight, and since I've been feeling your fingers on my forehead, little blue eyes, I know I ain't never going to lose you again. There was much more of it. There were so many gentle words falling from Rangy's lips that at length the girl's eyes grew softer and deeper from their peering into the future, and when she leaned just a trifle closer, the man's arms raised and clasped about her neck. For a very short space of time, Miss Dick resisted the pressure of his arms, then slowly, gently, she yielded to their caress. "'But how can you ask me to marry you, Rangy?' she asked, some time later, when the sparkle was still showing in her eyes. "'How can you, when you know I am just a bandit, and when you know nothing more about me? There is nothing more I want to know, little blue eyes, except that you are you. You've got a right to be a bandit if you want to be one.' But you were going to teach me something about the code of man, the girl reminded, with the gladness of laughter upon her lips. The code of man? Rangy wondered. Say, Blue Eyes, the code of man what I was a-gonna teach you ain't nothin' compared to the code of woman what you've taught me. If you was brought up a bandit, you sure have been a square one. Yes, Rangy, I was brought up a bandit, the girl broke in, with reflective tones in her voice which seemed to say there were new phases of life just opening before her. Dervisher Dick is my daddy, and I have never known anything else but living in the hills. I never knew until lately that it was really wrong to live as the Dervishers live. But a little while ago a man came along and taught me some of the new things of life which I never knew before, and now you— Another man? Rangy demanded, with a pain in his voice which no woman could ever have mistaken. You don't mean, Blue Eyes, that there's another man. Another man taught me the first things I ever knew about right and wrong, the girl whispered. He came into the hills, and I met him by chance. He was so nice and kind, and I owe him an awful lot. A slight groan slipped from Rangy's lips. Please don't, he muttered. I don't think I can stand it. I think you can, the girl went on, for you know him, Rangy, and you too owe something to him. I am going to tell you the man's name. He is Ringham Foster. You remember how his punchers got me out of the Burke saloon that night when I was foolish and wanted to see something of life? The sick man's eyes had become pained, like those of a wounded animal, and yet they looked up into her face firmly with a rebellious faith. And you love Ringham? he whispered wistfully. Miss Dick laughed in a curious way. Love him? Why, no, I think of him as another daddy. He was so kind to me. The balance of the sentence was quite smothered in the folds of Rangy's arms, and this time there was not even the faintest suggestion of resistance in the girl's manner. Funny, ain't it? Rangy laughed gladly, after a few delirious minutes had raced away. That I'm gonna take you back to Triple Butte after all and that you are going to teach to me the code of man the girl whispered but is there no danger for you from the snaky why rangy pete was too glad to see in the future anything but the rose of promise danger he laughed they're eating out of ringham's hand and i'm thinking when they know all about it you can have most anything you want around triple butte but we won't bother with the butte we'll get a little ranch of our own where you can teach me that code? The girl interrupted laughingly. There ain't anything to teach you, Rangy returned somewhat humbly, for there'd have to be a whole lot more in that code than I ever knew of 
for it to be big enough to hold a patch to the code of woman. Now, Blue Eyes, let's take a peek into the future. You are tired now, Rangy Boy. Tomorrow, if you are good, we will talk, and we will plan for the days when you are strong again. The man sank back, weary from the joy of it all, while the girl leaned above him once more, her lips forming the crooning words of that melody of love, which is as old as life itself. End of chapter 14 End of Rangy Pete by Guy Morton